welcome to the Raisana podcast from the Observer Research Foundation. In this episode, Professor Harsh Pant, Director of Studies at ORF, is joined by Ambassador Nirupama Rao, former Foreign Secretary of India, and Dr. C. Rajamohan, Director of the Institute of South Asian Studies, National University of Singapore. Together, they delve into the Indo-Pacific, the Quad, and discuss other recent developments that are shaping this important geography. Welcome, Ambassador Menon and uh, Raja. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to start with, uh, you know, briefly, there is so much happening in the, in the Indo-Pacific. There is so much happening uh, suddenly now uh, in, the, in that space uh, that was slightly dormant for a while because of what is, you know, what China is doing and how this is being reflected and refracted across this geography. Uh, so if I can start with Ambassador Rao. Uh, Ambassador, we are looking at a kind of a resurrection of the Quad that I think even some of its foremost supporters did not visualize a few months back. There is now uh, talk of the, you know, uh, taking it to a, a military level, to giving it a hard power edge. I would like to have your views on this trajectory of, of the evolution of this very, very, very interesting platform, which sort of, uh, you know, on the verge of, uh, of extinction in 2007, uh, but is now being revived in a manner that I think, again, uh, is, is quite dramatic. How do you look at this journey of this platform? Uh, Well, it's been a checkered journey, Harsh, uh, first of all. Uh, The Quad, as you know, as we all know, began during the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami uh, when uh, these four countries uh, and essentially India led that effort, uh, especially in the South Asian region, as far as uh, Sri Lanka and the Maldives were concerned, a great uh, humanitarian uh, relief, uh, disaster relief operation was uh, launched at that time. And that really was the birth of the Quad, uh, the concept uh, of the Quad. And later, during 2006, 2007, uh, you had people like Prime Minister Abe talking about this, uh, this concept. He later referred to it as a security diamond And you had uh, a tentative kind of grouping grow up uh, with the United States, Australia, Japan and India, uh, beginning to signal that they were prepared to work together. But it was in in many senses a case of a promise denied because the Australians uh, developed cold feet. The the United States was focused on dealing with China on the Korean situation. For whatever reason, uh, the Quad, uh, it became some kind of a mythical concept, as it were, elusive, uh, not very easy to lay your hands on. And it kind of died uh, or at least went into uh, a kind of uh, sleeping beauty like sleep, you can call it. And, uh, and, it, and it's now been revived, uh, especially with uh, the naming of, the, of China as a strategic competitor by the United States. And uh, this uh, realization very manifest in the region, particularly among these four countries, that we need certain strategic responses to deal with the rise of China. Now, whether the Quad is able to fulfill that promise in its second avatar, in its 2.0 avatar, as it were, we'll have to see. But the dialogue has begun. It has been raised to the ministerial level. There's talk of Australia now joining the Malabar exercises. It's unlikely that the exercises will happen during this year, what with the COVID uh, pandemic. But uh, perhaps in 2021, we may see 
the Australians join. We'll have to see how the Indians decide on that, how the government of India decides on that. I think the as far as India is concerned, the crisis emanating from uh, the situation along the line of actual control in the western sector of the India-China border areas in Ladakh has uh, in many ways um, highlighted a need for what kind of external balancing responses India is going to prefer, is going to choose, is going to adopt in this emergent situation. I think the dilemma is very, very stark for India, because on the one hand, you have to keep the channels of communication open with China, which has uh, declared itself very, very uh, pointedly as an adversary, as a long-term adversary of India. And uh, on the other hand, what kind of decisions India has to take in order to balance this threat from China without, um, you know, bringing it to a point of uh, very, very stark confrontation with this, uh, with this new giant in the region. Indeed, ma'am. I think that, you know, Raja, if I can come to you, this is the, you know, this is the, this dilemma that, that Ambassador Rao talks about, uh, I think uh, has been at the heart of of Quad for a very long time, and as she was mentioning, the trajectory of of, of its evolution. Uh, you know, how do you balance uh, the, these concerns with China engaging with China at the same time developing, uh, you know, partnerships with other like-minded countries had been at the heart of, of of this engagement. I wanted to get your sense on, you know, this this should Quad uh, or will Quad be able to develop the kind of hard power edge that many of its critics had argued it had failed to do, uh, and should it do that, uh, given uh, given the kind of dilemma that, uh, that Ambassador Rao was pointing out, that China remains, yes, an adversary, but also a country with which uh, all four uh, of these democratic countries will have to find some ways of engagement. Uh, so what's the modus vivendi there? I, I just wanted to take this question to you, Raja. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Ambassador Menon, uh, Menon Rao has covered quite a bit of ground. Uh, but I, you know, uh, I think the, the talk about Quad and what is actually happening, there is a huge gap. So the entire the excitement about the Quad today is really about what it can do in the future. Because as a collective four, uh, they've not done very much. I mean, it's been really a diplomatic instrument, a signaling instrument. Uh, it was resurrected in 2017, really at the senior official level uh, meetings maybe meeting 45 minutes at a time, you know, even a, a banal uh, statement, not even a joint statement. So we've had a ministerial meeting for the first time. So we haven't seen any collective action by Quad so far. So, so I think we have to be clear about that. Much of the action that is happening is between US and China, where US has actually ramped up the rhetoric, uh, is announced that five decades of engagement has come to a close, so the entire U.S. establishment is saying, look, uh, we have a huge problem in China and we're going to deal with it. We've seen some bilateral action between U.S. and uh, Japan, U.S. and Australia. There was this Osman uh, conference which uh, talked about South China Sea. Uh, there's also been a lot of interesting changes at India-U.S. bilateral level. So that is where the real movement has taken place. And maybe a little bit, I think it was uh, Ambassador Rao who started the trilateral uh, thing between India, Japan, and the US. Uh, there may be some things are happening there. So it's really quad is for the future, and it's really a diplomatic instrument. And it's so far the real stuff, at least on the security side, 
is really happening at the bilateral level, uh, that itself, I think, it's quite, quite significant. So therefore, we need to differentiate uh, between the collective and what's happening between the four at a bilateral and trilateral level. After all, all this talk about Australia being called, uh, we had the Australians in, in 2007 exercise in Bay of Bengal. After all, uh, that even had Singapore in it. So there were five countries uh, doing that big exercise. Uh, it was in scale. It was much bigger than any of the other Malabar exercises that we did. So therefore, I think we have to be you know, realistic uh, and in terms of Quad uh, is somewhat of a, I think, a diversion. But the big stuff, there is a U.S.-China conflict. There is an India-China conflict. And I think those two are the real big changes. And they're going to drive a lot of things uh, in the days ahead. But what do you make of this discussion of Quad Plus already when you have, as we have been discussing, Quad itself is yet to take off. And we are already uh, talking of, I think, a number of countries have talked of Quad Plus uh, and how some of the other countries have to come in uh, and to build a stable balance of power in the region. I think theoretically it makes sense. But what would it do operationally to this concept? Because uh, we, uh, you know, as again, uh, we, you know, Quad is, is, is yet to manifest itself in any substantive dimension. So the moment you start talking of expanding the remit of, of this engagement, uh, are we sort of losing sight of the real challenge here? Or is it something that, again, diplomatically is important to, to signal to China? I think what we've seen, again, you know, it's too much in the media about Quad Plus. What we've had in the last two months is the foreign secretary level dialogues uh, between U.S., India, uh, the two other Quad members, as well as New Zealand, South Korea and Vietnam as the head of the uh, ASEAN uh, at this point. And that was largely, I thought, is focused on the pandemic-related issues and what we can do uh, in terms of uh, dealing with the challenge and potentially uh, reorienting the supply chain. So it's still a diplomatic thing. And then there has been a ministerial conversation, I believe, between uh, our foreign minister, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, and the ministers of the Quad and a few few other countries. So, So there again, I think the talk... Uh, is much bigger than uh, any specific outcomes at the multilateral or plurilateral level, uh, if you will. Ambassador Rao, uh, as as Raja was mentioning, you know we have seen a lot of activity recently uh, in the in the military realm, the naval realm, for example. You have uh, U.S., Japan, Australia naval drills in South China Sea, India, and the U.S. doing naval drills in Andaman and Nicobar Islands. Uh, you have a, you know very strong statements, for example, on South China Sea, uh, both uh, by U.S. and Australia, uh, and we are looking uh, at a, at you know at a, at a larger Indo-Pacific where a lot of churn is happening uh, post uh, you know what has happened in in the COVID and and a, and a lot of assertiveness by China. So I, I, I was I wanted to ask you as to what your assessment might be about it. How far will it have an impact? on Chinese assertiveness is, uh, you know, should China be bothered or, or do you, do you see any sign of China being bothered about uh, what, what is happening in terms of the larger uh, arrangements that are developing or larger partnerships that are developing and will it be able to in some way uh, deter China and which at the end of the day is the ambition here? First of all, I think that China is a very thin skinned country and I recall uh, um, particularly a meeting in Beijing uh, in 2007 when I was ambassador, when they had summoned me to talk about their concerns about this organization or this entity called the Quad. So I can expect that there would be a great deal of um, discomfort, to say the very least, and suspicion and doubt and opposition to the, the, uh, this Quad renaissance, as it were, that they are seeing. 
I agree with Raja that, you know, the quad is, uh, you've also got to look at it uh, from the way it morphs into bilateral dealings, into trilateral dealings, uh, and then it enlarges its remit to include other countries in the region. At the moment, uh, yes, the Quad has not done very much. I suppose it's more like this, as as I said, this mythical concept, this kind of phoenix rising from the ashes, as it were. But what is the remit of the Quad going to be also as we move forward? We need a little more coherence. We need, need a little more specificity and granularity about what the Quad can do. Is it just about security? There is talk about dealing with connectivity issues, sustainable development, transparency of governance, debt sustainability. Uh, it's, uh, it seems like it's many things to many people. And uh, how do we make it that effective instrument, whether diplomatic, whether security, whether developmental, that can be an answer, can provide a credible response to uh, the rise of China? And then there is the ASEAN factor. We've always said that ASEAN is at the heart, at the core of the Indo-Pacific. And the ASEAN countries, I mean, give and take a few. I mean, you may have a Vietnam, which is ready to, you know, uh, show the flag against China. But by and large, I think they're not looking for conflict or confrontation or contestation in this region. They would like to uh, create an order which uh, essentially is inclusive in the very, very, uh, very stark sense of the word. And then you have the East Asia Summit, which uh, was recognized as the region's premier forum for strategic dialogue when it was set up, and it drew the members of ASEAN, China included, Japan, Korea, India, Russia, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. So it is an Indo-Pacific concept in terms of its geographic reach and representation. Now, how are we going to reconcile uh, what the ASEAN set up as the East Asia Summit with, you know, the activities of the Quad. So there are many, many questions to be answered at the moment, I feel. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the a question that I raised, uh, that, that I had raised for Raja uh, earlier on is that, uh, do you think developing the military edge uh, for Quad is important or should it be doing that given that as you mentioned in your earlier uh, reply, uh, you know it, it is very important to uh, for for these Quad countries, including India, to keep channels of communication open with China. Do you see uh, developing uh, the military edge of this you know, mythical uh, idea as of yet uh, would uh, help or hinder uh, the ability to shape Chinese behavior? Yes, uh, talking of mythical, somebody also called it um, a Marvel cons, a Marvel comic concept, also. But that's uh, <laughs> in a lighter vein. But, uh, but you know, the military edge that you uh, talk of, obviously, you know, take India for instance. After what has happened in Galwan and the the uh, situation in Ladakh. Uh, when you look at what assets can India leverage uh, as a response to the Chinese threat, everybody talks about the maritime environment of the Indian Ocean particularly and the and the natural gifts that geography has endowed upon India. You take the coastline, which is essentially unhindered. You take the Andaman and Nicobar Island chain. Uh, I mean, India has assets which it has to leverage, and that really brings in the military question, the security dimension, which you will have to 
exploit to the extent that it helps you. It is in consonance with your national interest. And therefore, you know, the military edge to the quad in terms of uh, exercises, again, bilateral, trilateral, quadrilateral, I think uh, India will have to um, embark on, uh, I'm using Secretary Pompeo's words, uh, embark on an age of ambition, an age of, age of ambition, not only as far as the Indo-US partnership is concerned, but as far as its activities in the larger Indo-Pacific region are concerned. Uh, so, Raja, yeah, this, this, this theme that we are talking about, you know, this, this larger Indo-Pacific narrative, uh, you know, seems to have become more potent despite Chinese objections. I mean, Chinese have been uh, talking against it. They have been raising objections to it, to, uh, you know, that it is a means to contain them, etc., etc. But despite that, you see countries gradually have absorbed it. They have made it part of their national uh, foreign policy narratives. And India, of course, uh, as Ambassador Rao was pointing out, has also highlighted um, Prime Minister's Shangri-La's speech highlighted Indo-Pacific, India's Indo-Pacific approach. And, and I think the point that she raised, which I think is a valid one in some ways, is uh, is a broader question about to what extent India's maritime space allows India this possibility uh, of uh, taking Chinese northern ambitions into account? How is, the, is in this debate that we have had in India for a while, continental versus maritime, uh, there is, I mean, I- India has to uh, manage both of these geographies. But in some ways, the argument these days uh, you see uh, developing, uh, being developed in India, that the, it's the maritime frontier that needs to be exploited more, the Indo-Pacific uh, geography needs to be exploited more because that's where India's real leverage lies. How do you see that panning out uh, going forward, given that our immediate priority is in the north, uh, in the Himalayas, and there uh, we seem to be a bit stuck? No, we are stuck. Uh, you know, that, that there's no question that over the longer term, uh, the Indo-Pacific, uh, the maritime orientation uh, is really the, the way to go. Uh, but the near term, you we have a problem. Uh, the Chinese are uh, supposed to be sitting on our territory. Uh, getting them to vacate that uh, is the is the immediate challenge. Uh, and for all the talk about maritime orientation, uh, we still are not fully invested in our naval capabilities. I mean, I think uh, given our problems on the frontiers, the two frontiers, uh, given the the challenges in Kashmir and the Northeast. Uh, much of the defense expenditure still goes to to the army, uh, and a navy is, I think, uh, barely gets fifteen uh, percent of our annual defense expenditure. So while the potential is there, the structural problems of India's security condition uh, have limited our ability to take full advantage of the maritime frontier. But yes, in the longer term, uh, therefore, the partnership with other countries, uh, since you're not going to be uh, able to do everything on the maritime side you want to do. So partnership with countries that have strong maritime capabilities, uh, which is the quad, uh, that the more we do there, we can generate some uh, outcomes uh, with that possibility. But as I said, it is still a work in progress, the quad. The Indo-Pacific narrative has caught on, but operationally, uh, we have some distance to go in terms of actually uh, bringing our militaries into operations. We have done exercises uh, occasionally, bilaterally, trilaterally. What is happening in the north uh, between India and the US in terms of intelligence exchange is quite uh, significant, I believe. Uh, so that's where the real action is. On, on the ground level, in the maritime side, 
uh, it's going to take, I think it's, as I said, it's going to take some time. Even at the political level, uh, we've not fully, on Hong Kong, for example, uh, even New Zealand, everyone has come out with statements. Uh, we've not. We had a very uh, careful, you know, reference to taking note of things. Uh, on the infrastructure side, uh, we didn't join the blue dot network uh, that the Americans have created. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not passing judgments. I'm, I'm saying uh, even on the level of diplomatic coordination, uh, I think uh, we have some distance to go. But what has changed is the Chinese threat is compelling India, I think, to do a lot more with the Americans, a uh, lot more with the Australians, a lot more with the Japanese, and I think other partners uh, who, who can be our long-term allies. So there is movement, but it is not at the declared formal level of court. Uh, so, uh, so Ambassador Rao, you know, I want to sort of uh, change the focus of the discussion now, uh, partly because, uh, you know, what, what Raja was mentioning, uh, partners, partnerships, uh, partners, uh, and also the fact that at the moment our, our, our northern frontier seems to be a bit of a problem area, immediate problem area for us. And there, uh, you know, one of the very important players, one of the very important partners we have uh, is Russia. Now, what is interesting is that if you juxtapose the, the Eurasian versus the Indo-Pacific narratives, uh, we have found that Russia has been, in fact, even more vocal about its opposition to the Indo-Pacific narrative, uh, publicly at least, even at times than even the Chinese have been. What do you make of that? And how do you think uh, you know, India's engagement going forward, given that Indian equities in the Indo-Pacific are going to be so substantive and substantial as we have been discussing over the last few minutes. How can we engage Russia on this question? Yes, uh, you just have to look at the map of Asia to understand how close Russia is to us, just geographically, apart from the partnership that we have with Russia and the long time-tested relationship that we have uh, essentially enjoyed with Russia. But uh, in the case of Russia, as the as the saying goes, I, the lady doth protest too much because uh, here you have uh, a Eurasian uh, land power, which is Russia, but it's also in many senses also a Pacific country. And, uh, and if you look at the uh, the extent to which this whole stretch of Russia takes uh, you across the continent up to the shores of the Pacific. A look at Vladivostok and uh, Prime Minister Modi and President Putin met in Vladivostok last September. And they talked about, you know, this connect between the southern coast of India, Chennai and Vladivostok. If that doesn't define Russia as an Indo-Pacific power, I don't know what it, what does. But I think the Russian opposition to the uh, Indo-Pacific concept, I think, essentially stems from uh, from the um, conclusion on the part of Russia that it's essentially a, a definition that has been foisted on the region. I'm using the words in quote, foisted uh, on the region by the United States, that it's essentially an anti-China concept, that it also includes Russia as, a, as an antagonist within its ambit. So there are these suspicions that that shine through, as it were, when you have Foreign Minister Lavrov at the Raisina Dialogue trash the concept. But um, I think it's more uh, more to do with the sense that Russia and China are seen as the, uh, or China basically is seen as the uh, focus of opposition as far as the Indo-Pacific concept is concerned. But 
you know, the Indo-Pacific is uh, is defined by many of the countries in the region according to their own interests and according to their own, um, you know, definition of the concept. You take India. I mean, India sees it as stretching from the east coast of Africa to the west coast of the United States. And that definitely includes the Russian Pacific region also. Uh, and uh, so I think we need to deal with Russia. We need to keep these... Uh, uh, these channels open with Russia in order to uh, to conduct a rational and reasoned and constructive dialogue on these matters because we always have talked about a free uh, an open and inclusive Indo-Pacific order and I think it's never been India's intention to exclude Russia from it. Uh, so Raja, if if you can uh, just uh, very briefly, we are running out of time, but uh, but can. Do you believe we can convince Russia on the Indo-Pacific issue or will we have to live with Russia's uh, opposition, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, till their relationship with the West gets settled? Look, I think we should stay engaged with Russia. I agree with uh, uh, you know, Ambassador Rao, but, but we have a Russia problem. I mean, I think there's no point uh, skirting it around. Russia today is in a deep, deep partnership with China. Uh, for them, both of them, and certainly for Russia too, the West is the problem. And that is driving their approach to a whole range of issues that, that are in the region. And I don't think we have the power or the capacity to change uh, that fundamental equation that has emerged. Uh, that could change because the Russians themselves might change. Uh, uh, they might respond to the deepening U.S.-China conflict or they might see, look, some the next president in the U.S. say, look, let's do a reset of the U.S.-Russia relations. It's not going to change because of us. So I think we have to accept the Russians don't like the Indo-Pacific idea. Their reliance on China has grown. Our relationship with the US, who they see as a problem, has grown. And our relationship with Russia on the economic side is much thinner than the Russia-China relationship. So whichever way you cut it, uh, we have a problem. And second, to make matters worse, uh, thanks to the path dependence, uh, we are stuck with the Russian supplies. So we have to keep Russia engaged. With no expectation, I think in the near term, are they going to change because of us? They will try and manage the relationship, hopefully, uh, with China and India separately. So we shouldn't expect them. We, you know, after all, I don't think we need to be defensive on Indo-Pacific with the Russians. After all, you sit with them in the RIC, uh, in the BRICS. But the real thing is, Russia has a problem with America, and we are getting closer to America. We have a problem with China, Russia, and China bodies. Uh, so, but but we we have a good relationship with Russia. We want to manage that, but we should not have too many expectations uh, that that uh, Russia will change in the near term. Our immediate task is to ensure that our defense supplies continue to flow from Russia, and that Russia doesn't do too much damage uh, because of their deep links with China and their problems with the United States. Uh, so, I think both uh, both of you seem to be suggesting that uh, you know, as we look at the at the short to medium term engagement uh, or management of the China problem, uh, we need to think more long term in terms of developing uh, the the Indo Pacific uh, discourse and the uh, capacities in the Indo Pacific region. The Quad, of course, remains uh, a work in progress, and the Russia question still lingers on uh, in in many ways uh, because of their funda fundamental difference uh, differences and continuously growing differences with the West. Uh, India will have to navigate these waters for the foreseeable future. Thank you very much, Ambassador Rao. Thank you very much, uh, Raja, for this very, very interesting conversation and hope we'll continue this some, some other time. Thank you, Harsh. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Harsh. Thank you, Raj.
Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Raisina podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and for further updates follow us on our social media and our website.